Hello and welcome to Way of the Leader. In this podcast, I interview John Q. Kosravi Esquire, immigration lawyer and entrepreneur extraordinaire, and hear about how he went from just a solopreneur, one person in the business, or one, maybe two, to having an entire team with designs on world domination and how content, created, uh, content creation affected him. In this, unfortunately, sometimes the audio does get a bit funny, so I do apologize for that in advance, but regardless, enjoy. Hello there and welcome to Wave the Leader podcast. Today we've got a very special guest. We are interviewing John Q. Kosravi Esquire. Welcome, John. How are you today? I'm good. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, no, absolutely. Thanks for coming on. So let's uh, let's start everything off and just to have a discussion around who, who you are. Give us a little quick background of, of John Q. Kosravi. Yeah, well, the question of who I am is always uh, is different every day, uh, but... You know, uh, the, right now, you know, I'm an immigration lawyer. I help uh, people come to America, live their dreams, and, and, and you know, find a place to be able to thrive um, globally, as well as have a training program called the Immigration Lawyers Toolbox, which is a media organization primarily that helps educate immigration lawyers to be better lawyers and help promote, you know, top immigration lawyers so people know about them in the game. But uh, let's get a little deeper in that. You know, my family is originally from Iran. I was born here myself, born and raised in Los Angeles for the most part. Uh, and I just love learning, and I love getting the information that I learned and sharing with people so they have a development that I've had from the, from the knowledge I've accumulated in my life uh, and the peace it's created and success it's created for me. I like to like take that in and give it out as an internal sense of satisfaction comes from that. And I've, I've realized the law is kind of the same thing. I learned all this complex legal stuff and I share that with my clients, other, other lawyers, so they could, you know, get a better life as well. I think that's like my purpose on earth is to be this, this, this machine that eats up random chaos and organizes it for other people. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great mission statement. I love it. So in terms of being like a, you know, a business owner, then how long is it that you've, you've been in business? Well, you know, it just popped my head. I, as a kid, I was always into business. So I would go to school and sell candy. Yeah, I could buy from Costco. I like, you know, price club back then, but it was like for five cents, I sell for a quarter, that kind of stuff. But when I really got serious business was about uh, 10 years ago or maybe yeah, 10 years ago-ish, where I decided to have my, my law firm. Uh, and so I left and just started from scratch uh, and kept it really simple for, for almost eight, nine years, just myself doing everything until kind of pl plateaued a sense. I got bored doing the same thing. So I thought I'd, you know, take things to the next level for various reasons we'll talk about. Uh, so I started, uh, you know, a real business as opposed to me doing everything. And now I have team and I'm, I want to grow that team up. And I have two companies, so I want to go with both teams. Wonderful. And so um, when did you decide, you said eight or nine years of doing the same thing before you actually made that change? Mm -hmm. So how long has that been now? It's been around two years now. Really at the start of COVID is when it really was the impetus where it got uh, pushed. So it was 2020, now it's 2023, maybe it's three years now uh, where mm. things changed. So when COVID happened, I saw my stats and my analytics were going down uh, when it comes to people finding me. And I was like, oh, no, the business might be going down because uh, COVID was happening. So I double, triple, the quadruple down. I made a lot of online content. And at, before, at the time, I would edit my, my own videos and stuff and put and upload it, which started taking more and more time. So I eventually hired a person. Uh, I was afraid of hiring another lawyer or someone on the legal side of the business because the consequences of their errors uh, uh, it could be really drastic. So I was afraid of that. So, But having someone edit a video and upload it, it's bad. It, it's not that harmful. Um, so as I would do more recordings, uh, it would go uh, more more viral-ish, viral-ish, I would say, and more business would come. Um, around the same time, actually, I had to back it up a little bit, 
because I was a full solo doing everything myself, answering phones, copy printing, I was starting to get burned out from that. So I created a second company to train other immigration lawyers and learn what I do. And um, because I was going to you know, clean up the practice area and go, part of that program was training on how to do marketing. So I was just going to teach mm. the marketing aspect of business. Uh, it coincided with COVID happening. And in one sense, the additional video creation and content creation I made was one uh, to, to learn more about marketing so I could teach the students who are part of my course. But also to, uh, because the law firm was going down, I'm like, well, this is the one that's pays, you know, the cash flow comes from the law firm. I need to focus on that. So it's double whammy of those. Uh, got me into making more content, which got more business, which meant I needed more team members to help edit, post, and all this kind of stuff. And mm. I had a big fear for you know 10 years of hiring people because of headaches. But once I was forced to do it and I started hiring this less um, you know detrimental kind of group that, uh, that, that could hurt the business, uh, I'm like, okay, it's not that bad. It's not as awkward uh, you know managing a team and talking with them and managing them. Um, you know, I was afraid of being a boss and stuff like that because I, it, it, it felt awkward to tell people what to do. But I realized not telling people what to do. We're working together as a team, and it's just we're working together in one role. And I have a better uh, perspective on the whole operation, so I, I have to lead it. You know, and it's my name and it is my business. So um, that opened it up, and then I was able to hire people that work on the legal side too. And then that really cleared up a lot of my time. One is, I mean, the, the, the video editing and stuff like that, which I enjoy doing, frankly, but I don't have the time to do. And other people do a much better quality than I do. That opened up a lot. But then once a, a lawyer came on board. That then freed me to stop working in the business and start working on the business. That was a huge shift that occurred. It was a massive shift in my perspective of who I am, my position, what I do, um, how I think about things. Instead of on a day-to-day basis, more month-to-month, year-to-year, I, I always have to keep my focus on. And that just changes my per- complete perspective, almost as if uh, the difference between, you know, if you're riding a bicycle on the street in your neighborhood, you see, like, all the stores. But if you're in an airplane, you see, like, this huge pers- panoramic perspective of things. It really it's... It's so interesting that you talk about that because I literally had this conversation with, uh, <clears throat> you know, a very good friend of mine who's a, a good marketer, and he talks about this idea about like the more the higher up you get, the more that kind of perspective, and you're literally seeing the future if you're witnessing two cars crossing each other, but if you're in that car, you know, from the perspective of the driver, you you just see straight ahead of you, you just see the road ahead, you can't see where that car is going. So yeah. it's interesting that you say that. And there's so much in what you just said as well about, <clears throat> you know, talking about all the hats that you wear, talking about how many different aspects of the business that you've been working through as well. And then um, obviously, you know, you've been, um, you know, doing the law firm side of things, but then the content creation side of the editing side of things, and there's so much to, to deal with. And, and that almost forced you to take on people and the fact that taking on people, your name is on the door, your your reputation is at stake, so to speak. So there's so many different angles to talk about this. So let's let's kick into. Uh, I think it's a great segue for our first question, which is, you know, leadership is an, is a word that's tossed around quite a lot, and a lot of people, you know, it's got a lot of baggage around it. And so all I want you to do, please, for us, is I want you to define leadership in your own words. Sure, sure. I, I thought about this question. I had a good answer, which I completely spaced out on right now. <laughs> but just to be real, leadership is just you know taking the lead, and as the as the as the word goes, and uh, guiding people to the, the where where you think is best uh, for for everyone in the in the team um, in the organization. At the end of the day, although like for example, I am the owner of the law firm, I am an employee of it too, and I always have to think of it as this this team mechanism. How's the whole thing going to work? Uh, it's like how do I take this 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 you know this artificial person's corporation and take next place. 
uh, and, and keep all the dynamics of it working properly in the direction that we're going. So it's just, you know, leading and that and that's as simple as that. I had, a, I had a better answer, I forgot, but I would just say in leadership is just leading uh, and uh, with all the, the baggage that does come from that being the leader because uh, we are human beings and there's a lot of psychological issues that come into play. 100%. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, that's that's the thing. Like when I, whenever I speak to people and they define leadership as like, the visionary, the this, you know, it's usually people who are also not practical about leadership, you know, which is not to say that leaders can't be visionary, yeah. but just to say that, you know, it seems like your answer is incredibly grounded. And that's, that's absolutely who you are as well as you're a very real uh, person. And I can imagine as a leader, as a boss, you're incredibly grounded too. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, and so let's, let's talk about your leadership journey. And so, um, you know, if you're happy to share, uh, what were some of the points of, of leadership that you felt perhaps you were terrible at, you struggled with uh, when you started, but now you seem to be quite comfortable with? Yeah, there's, uh, I wouldn't say fully comfortable, but uh, there's a couple of different stuff. I mean, when the first team members I hired, um, you know, they wouldn't do their job. They would kind of talk back to me and stuff. And I was being a big pushover and I was trying to be nice. And then I realized, like, you know, don't take kindness for weakness in a sense. So um, then having to fire them was going to be hard, but now that's gotten much easier. <laughs> it's never as easy, but at the same time, someone is not matching up. It's like, you know, it doesn't make sense to be with us. It's beneficial for you to go and find what's suitable for you to thrive because you're not going to thrive here, obviously. Um, so that was a big thing. And just, you know, keeping people on tasks and make sure they're doing what they're doing and not losing track, um, not trying to jump in and, and, and manage things. So the problem is, like, I find myself still going and doing things myself myself or micromanaging which is i don't believe in doing so it's kind of like i got to take myself out and um, the team member has to figure out how to do it on their own or or help them figure out on their own in a sense to help them become a leader as well uh, so a leader makes more leaders that's the way that's going to work so um if and if they can rise up to the occasion it's perfect if they don't then we got to find someone else uh and so um and one part of the even now we're having is like some people that's the leadership, which is fine. They just do the role, but we got to find someone who's going to be a leader there. But then that creates the problem of like, oh, I got to go recruiting now. That's a, as a leadership position, I think the most important thing I have is actually the recruiting aspect, recruiting and maintaining talent. That's like my number one thing I have to do. Um, and once I started you know, having a team, I realized that's, it's all about recruiting and maintaining talent and then them do everything. So it really takes me out of being a lawyer or being a content creator is just like I need to find talent as a leader and, and maintain them. So that, that might be a definition of leadership right there, um, a partial definition at least. Well, you so, know, it's quite interesting. I wanted to echo something that you just said, which was this um, this concept of um, a good leader makes other people better leaders as well. You know, like yeah. literally the idea of like you hire one employee. And the more you invest in them to become a leader, then you can employ people underneath them to take away more portions. And, and so leaders make leaders. And that's, that's a wonderful point. I think that that's a much overlooked point when, when leadership is in a discussion at the moment. Yeah. And as you said, you know, leadership becomes about recruiting as well. Like that's, that's huge. I mean, how many people fight with recruitment as, as, as something that they resist for so long? And then the recruitment has a whole bunch of skills attached to it. So um, just quickly on the recruitment side of things, what have you found to be um, the greatest thing to, to help you when you're um, going through that recruitment process? I've gotten better at it, uh, even for the basic level, sorry, employees, is knowing what learning curve there. Ideally, like, and one thing I want to do as part of my lawyer training course and, and law firm training courses, 
learning what these are so I could then tell other people what they are so I don't have to go through what I have to go through. Uh, and like, for example, when we're hiring, now we have tests that we do to see how quickly someone can figure out a, a certain uh, process. Um, and I, I have more understanding of trying to catch people are real or not in an interview, uh, but more likely just what their goals are and asking who they are and what their plans are going to be. Um, so like if people are just finding a job is to do it, that may not, we're not, we're not a place for a job, maybe a big corporation has 10,000 employees. They add need people to do just a job nine to five, but we're essentially a small startup, even though it's a law firm, uh, in the other business. So, um, we need people who are, have a longer term perspective. And so I talk about that a lot and I ask them, what is your goal for two, one, three, five years, 10 years from now? It's not a question many people ask themselves. It's an awkward question to answer because it requires a lot. But, I, you know, put it out there, let them think about it. And most of the time, people don't have good answers. But, you know, you kind of can tell by me asking that, that's the kind of perspective I have. That's where I'm going. And if you keep that thought process up, in, in, if they do a trial period of hiring and we're talking with them, if they don't get to the point of like, listen, I'm thinking 10 years down the line. That's how people are successful. It's not thinking, um, you know, tomorrow is going to happen. Today was going to happen. Success, people who are, you know, wealthy and have businesses and have happy lives, frankly, with their family. They're thinking 5, 10, 15 years down the line. If you're thinking day by day, hour by hour, you're not going to have success. You're just struggling. So if they don't get on the boat, it, you know, then they got to get off the boat. Uh, but uh, stay off the boat. But um, yeah, the, the the process of just having to test them, uh, having uh, regular conversations with them uh, at the beginning to just weed out people as soon as possible if they're not good. Because um, once those signs come out that they're not good with their responses or, or the delays and stuff, you got to cut them really quick. And I've had it where it lingers and lingers. And what happens is, they'll be doing a basic job. And I'm like, well, they're doing this for now. It gives me time to focus on something else. But the more they're there doing the basic job, the less time I have or it pushes back me getting someone else in that position that's good for what they do. And so I've had that uh, that problem happen. Uh, cutting somebody is going to create more load on other places and it creates more difficulty. But that difficulty is then going to force us to recruit someone that's good. Um, what I found is in life, um, as much as sometimes I'll be like, oh, I'm above this, I'm not. Evolution comes from pain uh, and force. Very rarely do people evolve voluntarily or on their own. Uh, and just like, you know, I became a leader through through force. I was I was too scared of doing it, but I was forced to do it. Um, you know, hiring and recruiting, even though I believe it's the right thing to do, it's it's a lot more work and it requires a lot more commitment. And there's a financial cost. I got to maybe pay people for a couple months to see how they're doing. Uh, I got to interview 10, 20 people, have practice tests or practice questions and posts. And it, it's a lot of uh, it, capital and, and, and attention goes to it. Uh, but uh, it, it's something that's really important to do and just, you know, um, kind of test people out, see who shows up, talk with them, have multiple rounds, maybe of interviews. So I see, make sure all the team members uh, like them and that requires more time and commitment and, and resources, but it's worth it because um, from reading a lot of books on this uh, topic uh, and I've learned that, you know, having one star player is like having 10 mediocre employees. So if I have like three people that are stars, uh, it's better than having a company of 30 people. Uh, the 30 people are just overhead. That's that's going to be a drag. So I realized it's better that I go through 100 people uh, and find the one person than after 10, 20 people. I'm like, let's just settle for this one. And so, and that's what most people do in life and frankly, everything else. Just looking at the house I bought right here, uh, we went through literally 100 houses before we, we got found this one. And 99 of them, and we spent, luckily I work from home and have flexibility. I work at nice, we're just house to house to house. Uh, and we have put down we put down offers for five or six houses, and luckily we're outbid. The houses were straight up garbage, but in this market we have in Los Angeles, those out of control prices will go up, you know, five hundred thousand more than we than the price that started was. It's crazy stuff, uh, and it still is like that for the most part. Um, but l luckily, uh, 
the, the ones we were settling on, we didn't get. So I found when we found the one we want, like, oh my God, like, I can't believe it existed. And so these, these gems are out there. It's kind of like dating too. I found my wife, you know, you date a lot of, you know, uh, frogs until you find, find the, the princess. So it's like, you got to go through a lot, but it's worth it in the end to find which if that one that fits the piece. It just takes a lot of resources, but there's a 10 X, um, uh, equal to the 10x that comes from it so you guys gotta remember like yeah it might take a while to recruit and it might be hard and i gotta tell myself this but if i find the right person it's gonna make things super easy um so it's like you know you, during a short period of time you experience a lot of pain but then it goes easy just like everything in life instead of just dealing with low levels of pain uh, over a long period of time which it, it, which actually is it's much worse more total amount of pain you have to deal with 100 percent. yeah 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 i couldn't agree with you more on on a lot of this and i i think um you know, like echoing the the words of I, the most recent person that sticks out of my mind is, of course, Alex Hormozzi saying, um, you know, uh, hire slowly, fire fast um, for for this this particular piece here that, that you're talking about as well. You know, find the right person, the right fit, give some people some time, but cut your losses faster. So that's amazing. So you know, there's uh, another guy that was saying hire fast and fire fast because it's hard to tell how someone is during an interview. They might not be good at interviews. Or you might have had a bad uh, day, for example. Uh-huh. So, so I have a mix. But my goal this year, which I haven't, haven't reached it, but it's like um, for a certain role that we have that uh, we better quality is every three months hire for that role, even though we don't need it, and have like practice work. That's Especially there, we're paying them just to practice for three or four months so that enough work comes in for them. But by constantly doing that, we're going to constantly be like going to people and, and keep the best people in there. Uh, and uh, people that exist will get inspired from, from the new people coming in uh, to know, okay, like this is how it work and get different ideas from them and different uh, energy from them. Uh, but to really, um, one is because we have a, we, our, our business has a chance of doubling up like every six months or a year, like we need to have people ahead of time so we don't get hit really hard. So sometimes we have to like hire ahead of time, knowing that that's going to happen and have them ready for that. But at the same 100%. time, when people come, we might think a certain standard is normal. And then someone comes and knocks it out the park and it's like, oh, wow, what we thought was maybe 10 hours to do this thing. This guy did it in three hours. Maybe that 10 hours standard wasn't uh, what we were expecting. So this right. And so yeah. at the end of the day, it's a business. And like we have to do things as more efficiently as possible. So if we get start getting people that are much better, then, okay, it is, it is what it is. The other mm-hmm. team members learn from them, see what they're doing. That makes it faster and, and you know, take their game up to the next level. And with that, you know, more – more cost savings and you know, all raises coming, all that kind of stuff too. Uh, but it's just, it's a business. We got to keep it going. Wow. Perfect. So, well, you know, talking about this as well, you know, we're talking about this aspect. And so I guess um, what I wanted to get into now with you is this idea of like, we talked about the, the, you know, leadership stuff that you were struggling with at the beginning. And I wanted to ask you like, well, you know, uh, what did you do to get better? So we've been talking about recruitment. So let's ask that question is like, uh, what exactly did you do to get better at recruitment? Well, you know, we do a lot of, uh, there's, there's two levels of recruitment. One is the, the, the websites where you post and stuff like that have better definitions, have better ways of, of weeding out people um, who are coming in and sticking with it. Um, and, um, and, and, and just spending more time trying to get in a more bigger pool of people, candidates coming your way. So that's one aspect. But some of our best employees are people that reached out to us randomly on their own. So one thing I realized is, so I, I have like a, my law firm, which has a podcast, but I also have this immigration Lawyers toolbox training course as a podcast. So I do two podcasts and, um, you know, people find that podcast and they reach out to me, saying they want to work with me. And one of, and so a lot of it, and he's talks about Alex Hormozzi, I've, I've seen one of his, his podcasts he says one of the reasons he's so public on social media is because 
it makes recruiting talent so much easier on these companies he wants to buy because they know who he is and what he's about, what his principles are, so they want to work for him. So our top employee, that, we, that one of our top employees uh, that we found was a guy that was a follower, and he reached out and said all the good right things. And it was because, not because I recruited him, but I just had my personality and our, my, my game plan out there, and people were on page with that, and they wanted to participate in it as well. Uh, and so that was the thing I realized. A lot of videos I do maybe towards getting clients and stuff, but there's people in our field that I've taken notice, and they watch me, and they more and more are like, well, I'm working at this firm. I work at 9 to 5 that pays well. Maybe I'll pay more than I will. But they don't have the spirit and the passion of what they're doing and these these ideas I'm doing. Like, for example, I'm creating workshops and conferences. I have a trade magazine. I have multiple podcasts, which I want my team members to be on on video. I want them to learn different languages. I want them to travel the world and connect clients, create a global. There's all these ideas I put out there that it's it's not typical in the humdrum, boring world of law, especially immigration law, where it's the same thing every day out. And, you know, the ones that find that exciting will hear it and they'll contact me. So it's recruitment, and then people who are potential clients will see us too. Like, well, this guy really loves immigration law. I need to hire him as this firm as a lawyer because they're really into it. So it has a double, uh, it, it's a double-edged sword in a positive way, cut each way on it. Uh, so that that's one aspect that's really important. That's that's crazy. That's you know absolutely incredible as well. I, I think like you, um, you insp- I, you definitely inspire me to think beyond the scope of you know what my business is or what I define it as. Because like you just said, you know. Immigration law is typically this humdrum thing, but here you are, conferences, magazines, you know, you've got two separate businesses as well with regard to how you, how you actually have the law. And, you know, the, the point that you made about if you're a content creator, you attract people as well. And so it's so important to then make sure that your content creation puts across your values as well, you know, to attract the right people. So that's, that's incredible. I, I, love, I love that concept. Um, okay, cool. Well, <clears throat> so the question that I've got for you now is what has been your greatest struggle that you found good leadership skills to be the solution for? Struggles with leadership skills um, is really just giving out. There's a habit when you're breaking through uh, escape velocity of the earth when going to space. Uh, business owners who want to keep getting sucked back in and to do the day-to-day work of it. And I'm constantly at battle with that, especially because I don't have enough team members per se or, or in certain trainings or some things. This require my t- my attention to them, and um, so the struggle has been: how do I detach myself and say, "Listen, just give it to someone else to do." They may not be able to do it right the first time; may uh, come back eighty times when they ask questions, but maybe on the eighty-first time they'll get it. So you know, it's constantly like just giving away responsibility as much as possible, uh, and that's that's been a struggle. But the more I do it, the more comfortable I get. Um, and, and the better results I end up seeing in the long term of it. So that's been a struggle, not getting sucked back into working in the business as opposed to, say, on the business. Yeah, I was going to say that's the, uh, the old e-myth revisited, working, working on the business versus in the business is always the trade-off that we have to, to make as well. So that's, that's great. That's fantastic. Um, well, you know, speaking of looking back at, at time, you know, if you could uh, go back and give yourself some give some advice to yourself to obviously get past all the struggles that you've, you've gone through. Like what advice would you, would you have for yourself? Well, one was to get out of my comfort zone a couple years earlier to hire. It wasn't as scary as I thought it was going to be. So I wish I had started sooner because I would have just been, been out there sooner. Cause the last couple of years of when I was full solo, uh, it was just a hum. It was getting boring. And it was, I mean, I was making money and all that kind of stuff. And, but it was just boring. So if I start sooner, you know, as you get older, you realize you have less and less time. So that's three years earlier I could have got here, but maybe then I didn't have to push to get me there. 
So I would have uh, liked to start sooner and put myself in these uh, long call positions to get myself there. Um, but uh, when it comes to you know, advice, bias, and struggles, um, it's just don't think you need to do everything yourself. You know, uh, like just just be comfortable in giving out responsibility. And the way it just naturally happened was give away responsibility for things that aren't that big a deal at first. And once you get comfortable with that, you give them more bigger stuff. So if I originally I had hired people that, that could take away responsibilities of mine that, that were of consequence, that would have opened, my, opened me up and be more comfortable in giving up stuff that have consequence earlier. Uh, but that was the thing. I was 100%. I got to do everything myself. There's always a little bit you give someone else, and that little bit turns to a lot over time. You know, it's, it's quite interesting that you say that because something that I do with a lot of my coaching clients, actually, when, when we're coaching on the topic of leadership is, uh, well, I mean, I use this tool actually with coaching anything is this idea of uh, progressive overload. Like, what are you currently doing and how can we just do plus one? Yeah. Just plus one. Like, take what you're doing right now and just do plus. Instead of having these lofty goals of, I'm going to start recruiting 25 people. Like, no, let's recruit one. But I don't have enough work for one. Well, let's start leaning on that one with the stuff we're comfortable with once that's practice. So it's very interesting that you say that as like good advice. Obviously, um, you know, it's, it's very much something that I find to be 100% true in my world as well. You need to uh, go into this zone of plus one when you've got the strength for it, because it'll always benefit you. It'll always come back with a benefit. So sure. amazing. Cool. Um, all right. <laughs> well, in asking this question, the, the, the next one is, of course, um, what are the resources that you use now that you wish you had known about in the past? Like, apart from the advice, now let's look resources. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of different things. One is uh, hiring low-cost employees overseas that could do certain technical aspects. That's the lower cost of it was a big deal because we hire in the United States uh, at our rates. It, it was, would have been hard to be able to afford that, especially if they're not good at what they do. All of a sudden, I'd have a big financial hit and nothing would have come about it. So learning these websites and organizations that allow you to hire overseas was the number one thing that, that was really important um, that helped me out uh, in that endeavor. I wish I had that resource. And then secondly, it's using technology properly. There's things like even using Gmail properly I didn't know. And I, I purchased some courses that would taught me how to like, you know, um, put stars and put labels on emails. So they don't go in my, in a day in my inbox and all this kind of stuff. In a day in my inbox, you use all these uh, third-party apps and stuff that really help smooth things out. So it's being comfortable with the technology, which takes a lot of time to learn. You got to sit and like study it. So certain aspects, I had one software I was using for with our team for three years. It's one of these team management kind of stuff. And we we're using like 5% of it. And then uh, now that I had other team members, I also had a bunch of free time opened up because I wasn't working every day on it. So I went in that software and I started clicking on all the buttons. I'm like, oh, dude, this has like all this stuff that's really helpful. This is going to create so much more efficiency. We have information here. We have tracking here, this and that. I'm like, what? Dude, I, we had this this whole time. Uh, and and I, it's like, it, it's going to help so much better on various aspects, really important kind of stuff. Uh, where somewhere I was doing manual Excel sheet, I just put it in here. And, and within like, instead of five minutes of time, it took two seconds of time. So it's definitely gains there uh, of using the technology properly and spending time to learn it. Kind of like recruiting and all this kind of stuff. You just got to spend time originally. That's a lot. We don't feel like it, but uh, you got to do that. So one was recruiting um, overseas talent that was less expensive, but good quality. And then secondly, is using technology. And these together really are, you know, I was thinking if I was 18, I was starting over again, I wouldn't become a lawyer. I'd use this technology and, you know, less expensive staff to make an agency of some any kind. Like there's no reason why an 18 year old can't be making a ton of money. Uh, right now, mm -hmm. I've kind of taken my heels in too deep into being a lawyer. That's like I'm kind of stuck out of family and stuff like that. If I was more aggressive uh, when it comes to risk in business, I would have do, uh, probably ditched this and 
and just on marketing or something like that. But if you're 18, 19, you grew up in a digital age and you have access to websites that give you recruiting and, and you know you don't need that much money, and you have uh, technology, it's really easy to be really great really fast on this kind of stuff. Uh, if you're younger, especially because you have less, you know, more more room to have losses and, and, and take it over and keep going. So uh, it's, it's just doing this stuff and, and doing it more and more and just being conscious of, of, of the goal and which path you're going. Yeah, 100%. I think, you know, nailing it on the head, the amount of people who don't necessarily take advantage, full advantage of, you know, various situations, you know, like you say, like uh, overseas hiring that's, you know, coming from South Africa, that's a big deal. There's a lot of South Africans who actually rely on overseas businesses to employ them, you know, remotely as well. So that's a big deal. So yeah, 100%. And the technology piece, I mean, how much people are overwhelmed with technology where if they knew how to use it, it could serve them so many different ways. So that's, I think that's a huge piece. Thank you, John. That was great. Um, all right. Well, so, you know, as, as you know, we talk about leadership, we talk about self-care as well. The idea of like, you know, self-empowerment and making sure that we're hitting these markers. So um, how have you prioritized self-care, you know, as you've become more and more of a leader? You know, it's really important because, uh, you know, I'm just getting older and I, um, you, you, you see the consequences of, of unhealthy lifestyles coming to you. And I have three small kids and uh, getting winded, just chasing them down and stuff. So that was an important part. It was hard for me myself to pull the trigger. One is going to gym, gym takes so much time to go. And uh, I'm not a person that's, uh, if it was up to me, I'd sit on the couch all day. I wouldn't be like running or doing any exercises. But um, <laughs> with my wife's push, I got a personal <laughs> trainer who comes to the house. Uh, and um, it, it, when he's here, he's here. It's not, I, if, it was, if he didn't come, I wouldn't work out. But he's at the door. I got to get out and work out. Um, so that was an important thing. Sometimes it's a problem because like, I'm, like, uh, I'm like, I worked out three times this week. That's three hours, like three hours. Like, you know, I should have answered emails and stuff, but it's like, no, like by me taking the time to, to answer, to go and work out, by taking the time to play some tennis, by taking the time to go for a walk, these are actually investments in the business because it clears, clears my mind and relaxes me. So I could, again, think about a long-term perspective. And it's really been that when I go for a long walk, uh, it seems like, oh, you're just walking, but it, this is something to the human body. If I go for a swim, if my, my trainer has come, I'm really thinking about something too much. The first 20 minutes of lifting weights with my trainer, um, I'll be constantly my zoned out because I'm thinking about something. About 20 minutes, it goes away and it relaxes. I'm focused on what I'm doing. And my brain kind of like, when I go back to that topic, I come with a different perspective. So the health aspect is really good with, with just being able to you know, run around and not get tired. Um, you know, there's a confidence aspect because like I'm, I'm in better shape than I ever was. My muscles are bigger. My shoulders, my arms are bigger than they ever were. Uh, I wish... I had the money uh, when I was 16 to have a personal trainer come and help me out. It would be really cool in my personal life and, and uh, just everything that then. Uh, but uh, it, it's just important. So when it comes down to you know priorities, as much as I love my family, they're important. Health is more important because I got to stay healthy to be able to take care of this family, um, both you know, psychologically and financially and all that kind of stuff. So again, the health part is really important to carve out time and force yourself to say, this time is for this. And although I have a bunch of work to do, I have deadlines. It is what it is. This is an important, important deadline because by getting your health, you're postponing potentially the deadline you're going to have in your life. You know, that, that may push out that last day, an extra day longer, uh, and it's worth it. And then sleep then comes into play. And I have a small baby, so sleep's been a hot mess. Uh, but uh, make sure you do it. Uh, now, my, I sleep less than most people. With I realize what I need, just but I need to make sure I get that. And it really comes from sleeping early. So um, for me, like it really is important to sleep as early as possible and try to turn off the phone and not want to look at an extra video or something like that before I go to sleep. 
Uh, because that first couple hours of deep sleep I get, then I'm set for the next day. If I have three hours of starting deep sleep from 9.30 to 12.30, even though I, I wake up like 3.34, um, it, it's all good as long as, again, I get that initial deep sleep. And that only happens if I go to sleep around 9.30-ish. If I go to sleep at 11.30, then it's, it, it throws my uh, things out of whack and out of balance. You know, it's it's so interesting that you talked about this because, of course, like, uh, you know, the follow-up question that we've got is how has this impacted your leadership? And you've already talked about it where you, you're saying these things of, like, you become more focused, more productive. You know, there's, there's a, a healthy balance to take within this kind of stuff um, you know, we talk about sleep and movement, but um, there's there's a couple more things as well. And so, um, you know, you naturally went there. You naturally talked about how it impacted your leadership and it, it has benefits. Very often, you know, 100% on the money once when someone is focused uh, on the business, let health slide, and then realize the, the impact of health. They come back to it and all of a sudden business productivity, you know, clarity, it all kind of benefits. And you that know, person, it must be the case where clients and employees and team members, when they see me and I'm looking healthy and I look like I've been exercising, they're going to have more confidence in me in which direction I'm taking the business and, and taking their case. So by looking healthy, you're going to feel much more confidence uh, in the things that I do. And then the other aspect of like getting sleep and being alert and, and just uh, what's my lack of sleep or say, like when I wake up really early as part of my health regimen, because I realized when I do sleep, when I stay in bed seven, eight, nine hours, let's say from nine to eight or something like that, which a typical person, maybe 10 to seven or something like that, that too much sleep gets me drowsy the entire day. My whole life, they always said sleep eight hours and I'll try to force that. And it just makes me drowsy. And I realized if I'm in bed for, you know, six and a half hours and I fully sleep five and a half hours, and a half hours of that, and I have this ring that tracks that, that's my perfect hot spot, a sweet spot where I'm like, I feel alert the rest of the day. But that's led me to like wake up really early and have a team across the world that's helpful on that. So I get to do meetings with my team members and clients across the world at an hour and time that suits them. And when I, they, they message me, like they're like, what time is it in Los Angeles? I'm like, oh, it's 4 a.m. Like, <laughs> alert city here, I'm a full meeting at 4 a.m. like, yeah. And you know, it, it comes out really impressive. Now, to me, mm-hmm. I've, I've got used to we got 3, 3, 4, 30, when people tell me that doesn't make a deal, sound like a big deal. But I remember before I would wake up this early, when people tell, oh, I wake up at 3 or 4, 30, they're like, are you crazy? I can't wake up at 6 a.m. or 6.30 a.m., uh, let alone 3.30 or 4 to get working. Um, and so it's always, frankly, it's an impressive thing to know that, you know, this, this person is taking the early bird gets the worm uh, and, and, uh, metaphor literally and really getting there. And it, it's been so helpful in, in work, getting work done so early in the morning and sleeping early. You know, it takes away from the ability sometimes to have nightlife um, when, um, you know, you want to say 930, you might want to watch a video with, well, or something like that with your wife or something like that. But so let's do stuff a little earlier so you wake up earlier and get business done. Oh, I totally hear you on that. I've been fighting my wife to try and watch like a Netflix series. It's just something that we can consume together. But I mean, you know, like uh, she's one of these people who prioritizes a lot of work. You know, she tries to prioritize health and, but it impacts obviously her life when she works late sleep recovery, it's all an issue, but then also like the relationship. So absolutely prioritizing it is a big deal. It impacts a lot, but you know, and in saying that, then the the question is, is that uh, what do you find is the stuff that, um, you know, has fallen off for you in the past or was something that really um, wasn't high on your list, you know? Well, you know, like I never thought about how important the sleep was. So uh, even for the baby came, sometimes I'll be working late at night and waking up early and that was really bad. Uh, there were times where I just sit in a chair for seven, eight hours working and it's like, it's terrible on your body and it destroyed my lower back. You were really helpful. You introduced us, uh, me to your, 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 your friend Tyler 
And I had to work for like six months with them to get my back pain well. Cause I, I literally would walk at like a seven, like an old man. I was like crooked like this walking. I could have straightened my back. I couldn't sit in a car and drive for more than 10 minutes without back pain. It was straight up debilitating. I was like an eight year old man. I'm um, sitting down and not moving because I was working so much. Uh, and with training for him, and then I got my personal trainer who came constantly moving. Uh, I got a standing desk. I tried to, I forget to use a lot of time. Uh, but uh, it, it literally just breaks down my body from, from working too much. And the back pain I had, uh, it's just mentioned right now, I remember how bad it was. My body kind of tensed up. Uh, I literally couldn't stand straight. I couldn't pick up my kids. We'd go out to Disneyland or something. I constantly had to sit down. I'm like 36 or 7 years old, and I can't go to Disneyland and walk with my kids. So it was really bad. Um, wow. And so I'm like, I, this, something's got to change. And so, um, you know, a lot of us come to have financial resources to do this, but we're like, okay, let's, I'll throw whatever money is out there and I'll have to get it solved. Wow. Well, you know, amazing awareness and, and, you know, responsibility and ownership on that part. And it sounds like, um, like you said, you know, it's something that, that you've taken six months to work on. That's incredible. And I think that also shows the value of your tenacity in, in solving problems. So that's, that's incredible. So my, my question is, um, I'm to it too, because whatever I'm working half an hour, it was working like, you know, three, four days a week, half an hour uh, to 45 minutes. That's a huge time commitment there that takes away from work as well. So it's not only the investment of like paying the person, but it's the investment of not making money I could have made. So, so you got to make these decisions. It's like, you know, I might be losing out on thousands of dollars, but I'm probably going to get tens of thousands of dollars if I do this right. And so it's always this investment, some, like the hiring thing. I'm going to hire this person too early right now. I'm going to pay them a salary for three or four months before I even have a job for them, really. But, you know, it's because it, it's I, I believe I'm going to be growing and, and getting. I need to do this stuff ahead of time to be ahead of it instead of being late to the game. Well, this is exactly the next question, which is what, how, does, how did it affect your leadership? And I think you've outlined this question beautifully to talk about this idea of it's always a trade-off between your short-term wins and your long-term victories. Yeah. You know, and like losing, uh, losing an hour right now to work on your back so that you can work far more hours long-term healthily. You know, there's, there's really a smart way to do it. You know, there's a smart trade-off and there's a poor trade-off. And, um, you know, personally, like I find like a lot of the leaders, especially in, in places like startups, a lot of the bosses are short-term wins. They're under so much pressure. A lot of leadership is under so much pressure to answer to shareholders, investors, people above them, things like that. <clears throat> and there's, there's a certain amount of freedom that comes from obviously, um, you know, being, being your own boss yeah. um, with, with those choices. But in the same sense, like all you need is to think about it rationally and it makes a total, total amount of sense. So that's, that's incredible. So what, what else did you notice with your back? Um, like how would that have, how would that impact you and your productivity, your leadership style or whatever? Well, you know, I, I couldn't do anything. I was like, you know, I couldn't sit down for long periods of time. I was thinking about pain mostly, so it was a big distraction. I couldn't spend time with my family or my wife. Um, you know, I couldn't get out of bed because um, I know getting up, this, you know, from lying position just standing up, it was really a pain. So I feel like roll over and do this kind of stuff. And it's just like, it, it just messes you up completely. So I'm like, I, I just got to do something. I can't keep going up like this. It affects my leadership because... I'm late to a meeting or, or the team ever see, like I'm, I'm kind of distracted. Am I not fully there? Or I might not have a good attitude because I'm in pain. I might snap at them, for example, just because it's not intent towards them. It's just I have less patience because of the back pain. Um, so it's like, dude, we got to do it. Now, it's, it's crazy. I hear like a lot of successful people on like hella drugs and taking like 
all these different pills and stuff. It's unbelievable. So uh, hopefully people don't take the easy way out. If, I mean, sometimes you can't. You have back pain or something like that. You have an accident mm-hmm. uh, and you get hooked on this stuff and you got to do it, I guess. But um, just try to find the natural ways to cure yourself and heal yourself as much as possible. 100%. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a big believer in skills, not pills. Yeah, so that's a, yeah, that's a big one. Yeah. Yeah, lucky. I mean, you, you introduced your friend. I, I'll give him a plug again, Tyler, who, uh, who has this uh, natural way of doing things. And it sounds kind of weird at first, but he did it. I was like, oh, wow, it, it worked. It's, it's, who would have thought? Uh, it was totally worth it. I even got my, uh, my, my, my lead associate. Uh, I got a couple of months of sessions for her. I said, okay, she had some some shoulder pains and, and stuff like that. And it, it helped mm-hmm. cure. She, thought she was never going to have, she, she was a tennis player growing up. Uh, and uh, she thought her life, she's going to have to deal with pain. That's just the way it is. And he was wow. a little solid for her too. So uh, I wish I could give him uh, his, his website or something like that. I'd give him a shout out. <laughs> but, no, 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 definitely. Yeah, sure. Shout out to Tyler. And I'll, I'll link, uh, I'll link his website in the, uh, in the show notes for this, uh, for this episode. So, yeah, I'm sure he's he's very thankful for the shout outs. Yeah, that's amazing. And, and kudos on, on the job that he's doing, clearly. So that's great. Wonderful. Cool. Um, so you mentioned in the beginning, you're an, you're an international man of mystery. You know, you're originally, um, you know, your family line is from uh, Iran. Yeah. And so the, the question that I've got for you there is obviously you've got a taste of different cultures, you know, and knowing the difference, you know, personally, um, I've traveled the world. I've lived in seven different countries for at least a year at a time. And, you know, I've experienced a lot of different cultures and, you know, you, you do get those uncomfortable parts where culture is difficult to translate. You do get those beautiful parts of what you can experience in one culture that just doesn't exist in another. You get those structural parts of how people organize in one culture and not another, things like that. So my question for you is like, obviously as an international person, how does living across cultures affect your business, your style of leadership, how you work? You know, it's the adaptability, most everything to know that people are different. So I've just dealt with them. And what I've seen is I think the difference from East to West primarily is like individualism versus group kind of mentality, herd mentality. It's kind of pejorative. I'm more on the individual side, but I understand the other side. Um, and Iran in particular is at the, you know, the middle of the, the Silk Road between Europe and, and China. So it always uh, culturally had a way of, of mixing East and West together, which gives me certain benefits and uh, to be able to, to adapt to this stuff. Um, but, you know, having an international team, I can understand where they come from much easier uh, when I deal with clients for international locations there. And, you know, we're in America, so it's uh, it's an international place, frankly. It's a little bit of everyone in the world. It's really easy for me to, to talk with somebody from anywhere and quickly be able to adapt to, to, to the way they are and not be shocked by it and be able to adjust and, and just fully understand the perspective they're coming from. Because sometimes there's two right answers or something. It doesn't mean their answer is wrong. It's just a different way of doing it. And it's uh, the flexibility gives me not to be uncomfortable with uh, with different new things, new ideas, new ways of doing things. Just knowing that there's different ways of, of, that people do things. And you're you're an expert yourself on multiple languages. I, I've practiced learning languages. I don't speak any as far as English. I speak I I speak mildly a bunch of languages just because I like the process of learning about it and the perspective gives about that culture. And sometimes they're really different. Like you know, we learn Chinese that they their wording of how they use stuff is completely different. You in English and stuff. And it's like, okay, the, the words are the building blocks for how they think. So when you see, uh, when they ask for something, it's a completely different sentence structure um, and, and plural or first singular, all this kind of stuff that they do in, uh, you know, the, you know, Germanic languages or English, the base or Farsi, which is, they have the same roots. Um, it, it comes interesting to see that affects how the people may think uh, and how they, they may think the same way, but you got to go about things differently to get to the same location with them and just being okay with that, knowing that that's the case. Wonderful. Yeah. Beautifully said. Beautifully said. 
I think um, the the whole point about like this this relationship between how people think, how they approach a problem, that's going to be that's that's of course huge. So yeah. Um, well, speaking of which, you know, culture um, culture is something that influences us a lot. Uh, but we, we hear nowadays as well people talking about business culture. You know, what's the culture of the workplace? What's the what's the culture of the team? And so. Um, once again, it's one of these words that so many people throw around uh, different definitions. But, you know, if I asked you to define what is work culture and in particular, what, we, what would you say the work culture of your team is or that you're trying to create, um, how would you do that? What would your definition be? You know, it, it's such a important concept. Uh, all the business books, they talk about, you know, business culture. And it sounds sometimes like it's one of those things they make up in, in academia and stuff like that. But the bigger you get, you realize you can't be watching out over every aspect of the business. The only way you can do that is have certain principles that everyone goes by that develops a culture that exists. So the expectations we have uh, of people and how they can succeed in this environment, um, that is, you know, the, the culture, I guess, how we interact with each other. It's really about all the interconnectedness of the business without, you know, a, a leader watching you. How do you expect yourself to act within that, that sphere on your own? Um, just like in your household, you might have a culture in your community, you know, in, um, you know, in East Asia, they may find something appropriate or inappropriate, whereas in the U.S., we might find the opposite, that thing being appropriate or inappropriate. And so we got to set the tone of what it is in our business, what we can expect if someone doesn't reach that. They'll know on their own whether it's bad or good. So we don't necessarily have to tell them, hey, why did you do that? They already know what it is. And just a couple, like a week or two ago, uh, I was watching TikTok. And uh, my TikTok has a good feed because I just bring this stuff that's, you know, educational. I don't watch any weird stuff on there. Uh, and uh, this one woman who was a very successful businesswoman is talking about, if you hire somebody or if you're being hired, there's three the question you got to ask, or even if you're already hired, ask, what are the three things to make me stand out to be a star in this business environment of this business? I'm like, well, that's great. So I thought about it. And, uh, you know, it's, it comes out of more than three, what I say, but I told my team, first of all, I expect um, your work to be high quality and have speed. The more you do that, the more you stand out. So it shows the importance I give to high quality and not lagging on things. Uh, secondly, it's about uh, what kind of development you can have for the business. Like, what can you come with ideas to help the business? Might not always do them, uh, but always, you know, your mindset, the culture is, how can we help this entity to grow because it's going to help us grow? And third, personal development. How can you become a better person yourself? Because that's going to help both the business and yourself personally. Are you going to learn another language? Are you going to go be exercising? Are you going to go meditate? Are you going to be with your family? Although it doesn't have direct correlation of the bottom line of the business, it does in the grand scheme of things, and it's going to make you a better person. And you know that that's an important thing. So if you come and tell me I signed up and I go to gym every morning, uh, I'll be, that's good. I like that, and that's some reason for you to be part of this team more. And so I'm more comfortable in doing this kind of stuff because it helps us out better. So it's three-pronged, you know, of, of, of the core work of speed and, and quality. Secondly, how to help the entire business. And third, how to help yourself as a person. Uh, this is the what I find important. And from that, it breeds our culture to see what our, what, what, what values we have. Those are things we value um, with, of course, helping our clients, helping the business, and then helping yourself and uh, these together. That's incredible. Well, I would, can I come work for you? <laughs> no, I think, I, I think you nailed it on the head. And, you know, one of the biggest points about work culture as well is, is obviously like talking about value systems and, um, something that you you didn't necessarily mention in your answer, but I, I know because we have that relationship that we've discussed before, is your emphasis on family values, for example. You know, you, you, you're in this to make sure that your employees are supported as well. They've got that kind of family uh, perspective too, and, they want, and you want them to know that yeah. you place value on that as well. So there's a lot of leeway that comes with that. And I think that, you know, talking about, work culture 
there's a lot of big corporations that obviously discuss work culture and they, oh, our culture is this and they have a chief happiness officer or something like that or a chief culture officer, workplace culture officer. And the only time that you need that is usually when there's a breakdown of culture. Yeah. You know, and so I think that that's a big, big deal. And so kudos to you on not having a chief happiness officer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sometimes when you, when you just, like there's, a comp- there's companies who name themselves, like uh, I don't want to, get live or something like that name when you once you put a name on it and make that active that means there's something going on you don't sometimes you just you just do things right you don't have to highlight it then if your entity has a hundred thousand employees you might need that extra push but you might name someone else that's not to be too well, those on it but um but yeah this just, is this is it yeah there's there's a huge belief that i've gotten i'm like uh talking about you know going into keynote speaking and one of the the keynotes that i've been uh, drafting up is this idea of like what is the future of business in the West, because these, you know, places with a hundred thousand, um, when you, when you go that big, you add in so many layers of red tape and you, you take away and you diminish responsibility. And there's a humanity that's lost that, um, that is typically in the leader's values for the team as well. And so it could be instituted back in, but usually it's, it's, it's something that's absconded, you know, like the leader basically, says, well, I'm not responsible for the value system, though, the work culture or whatever, that's the bigger corporation at large. And so, you know, it's, it's always a, a touch point. It's always something that's very difficult to discuss. But, um, you know, so it always lights me up when I hear people uh, doing culture in a human way, the human approach yeah. to it. So fantastic. Just, you know, when we're, as we're growing, I, I had this idea of creating this structure of like having multiple levels of management. Okay, you were managing this and this person on you. And then I'm like, oh, that all of a sudden it's like four or five tiers of people until it gets to me. And so that's not good. So I cut that out to make it more, uh, to avoid it being too vertical of a, of a system. So it's more, uh, the hierarchy doesn't go that big because um, it attaches uh, team members from each other. And then whenever we're talking, always, you know, everything comes from the lens of these, these values. So how do we connect to these values? And if it's not going there, then we got to stop. Because, you know, sometimes like we'll, we'll have an opportunity to make like, like some money here and we jump on it. But that's a distraction. Like, well, is this other opportunity uh, going to be helpful to the bigger picture? Um, you know, when I started my firm, for example, I made the decision uh, where I'm not going to do asylum law, for example. This is people who want to file for asylum in the United States. Uh, primarily, one reason is um, in, in the U.S., so many people file for asylum that the case could take five, six, seven years until it's fruition. So that's a difficult thing to do, have a case that lingers on every five or six or seven years. Um, that's a difficulty that I like my case to be done within a year. Uh, and then secondly, you know, it's an emotional toll uh, where people who have gone through the asylum or need to claim asylum in the United States. We got to sit hours and hours and talk about a lot of emotional stuff, the, the, you know, the, the torture they went through, they had to escape, all this kind of stuff. And after doing it a couple of times, I was like, emotionally, my heart can't take it. I'm going to start crying and I'm not going to be, I'm not a good advocate in this sense because I can't handle it. So uh, I carved that out. I said, I'm not going to do these cases. But when I was first starting my business, I was struggling. We had these cases coming. I had to say, you know, sorry, I can't do this. It was hard because they wanted to hire me. Or I had a, a friend of a friend who needed an employment lawyer. And at first, uh, he was going to pay really well. And, and I was helping him with employment law. And I was actually making more money in the immigration side. But I made the decision where I'm going to be an immigration lawyer. And that's the value I place on what my future goal is and what kind of identity I want to have in, in this field of law. And so I tell him, listen, I know you're paying me every month. It's a good job and you're paying me well. I just got to say no to it because it doesn't go to what my goals are. And that, that worked really well for me because I've seen people who uh, become lawyers and like, well, let's just do everything MD comes in. They never really take it to the next level because they're just a jack of all trades in a sense. And, uh, and, and that in law, especially having a niche is really important to be able to succeed 
uh, and, and be an expert and, and have the you know qualifications you need. So mm-hmm. uh, you know, just always looking through a lens of what are the priorities, what are the goals, what are the you know the values, the principles. And if it if, if it's outside that, can we make it fit there? And if it doesn't fit, then and we can't do it. Uh, and, and and does this employee fit there? Does my the, the talk I gave yesterday does that fit there? Does the, the plans we have does it fit there? And always go back to that that uh, that that litmus test. If as a pastor or not, if it doesn't, we got to stick what we're doing because we've made the decision. This is our plan. This is what's going to take us to success. And you have to revisit that. You know, I've, I've changed my business plan uh, once I started a team. Not to adjust certain things. There are other cases, like for example, the H one BBs that we would do at my firm when I was solo. But now that I have a team that can handle it, and we have certain uh, you know other other amenities that can allow us to do it. We opened it up and handle that case type. Uh, but before we did it, but we got to re re readjust accordingly, but with thought, not just uh, to do it just because there's some money at the door and say, okay, throw away our values, just get that money. That's not a long term strategy for success, in my opinion. Wow. <laughs> what can I say? But just wow, you know. Uh, I, I can imagine how the asylum seeker um, kind of work could have been heart wrenching. And then, you know, likewise, the employment side of it is, is great money. But like you're saying, following your heart, such a big deal. And again, one of the values that I'm sure you bring into the workplace culture too. And, you know, you know, uh, pull out of your employees too. So wonderful. Um, so, I mean, this, this now brings us quite onto um, a very interesting part, which is just obviously like what other parts of your life do you find your role as leader being engaged? And in this particular way, I'm talking about as well, like, uh, like you said, your emphasis on long-term over short-term or any of the decisions that you've made in business, how are you finding that you're engaging those, uh, those business frameworks onto uh, regular life as well? You know, looking back, it originally just came out over leadership in my personal life. So um, when I was a kid and I was seeing my life not going the way I wanted to, is taking leadership and say, listen, you know, body, listen, tongue, listen, ears, eyes, uh, you know, muscles. We're going to go this direction because uh, what we're going right now is not going to get us where we want to go. So it always it goes back to when I was, you know, different times in my life when I was 8, I was 12, and 16. There were different times. I remember when I was like, Nine, I was very sensitive and always cry, get offended really easy. One day I was just sitting there crying because someone said some slight to me, like a cousin. I was like, am I really just going to sit and cry every time I get offended and complain? It's like, well, who cares what he said? I remember that occasion and really, okay, I took leadership and said, listen, we're not going to do this body and mind. We're not going to do this anymore. Uh, and then there was other times, I remember when I was really lazy and I was like 14, 15, and I was sitting in front of a TV and eating chips and the chips ran out. And I was like, oh, I don't feel like getting up, to, but I want to get some more chips and have a Coke. And I was just, the TV show was coming on, the fifth show that I didn't really want to watch, but I was just through cable. I was like, you know what, dude, I'm like 15, 16. If I go on this track uh, in life, I'm, this is going to suck. If I'm just sitting here and I'm complaining about not being get, getting a bag of chips because uh, the TV show is on. Uh, again. Like this, and so I took leadership and I said, listen, I, we're not going to do that body of mine. We're not going to do that. And then it, it just goes in, in you know, just the different physical stuff, my body, to my family, the leadership role I have, and all the stuff we're talking about here. Uh, this video, hopefully, my you know, my children see it one day and see what my goals are, where I've come from, uh, so they uh, can take the lead. Right now, it's just small for you to understand it, uh, but when they get bigger, they could. Uh, these are things that I learned through hard life. You know, my dad was a very successful person, but he's never communicative. Um, he could have shared a lot of his knowledge with me and, and given me a heads up and fast forward a lot of this, but wasn't successful. And hopefully. You know, sometimes when, when you give the information for free, uh, people don't do it. You got to go through the hard knocks yourself to do it. So it might be the case for them as well. Um, but at least it's there. 
for myself and for other people to fast forward the process and to, to take it to the next level. And I have to go through the like you know difficulties I have to go through to do stuff. They'll have their own set of difficulties, but it won't be these. They'll be farther down the line. Um, so that leadership and the family comes into place. Um, but then it's business. And the business, thinking about it, because you're more overtly thinking about it because it's a business, that reopens the pathways in my head where I did leadership, but I just didn't know it was being leadership. Uh, but I see it now that I'm more actively thinking about it because of their own business. And a lot of people, because they're employees, they never think about it like this. And it's a problem when it comes to the country. There's a lot of people want to attack business owners. Um, and, you know, it's fair in some certain senses when it's these, you know, some corporations that, you know, are in partnership with the government and see all the money. So it, they're not necessarily making all the money because they're being uh, against the society. It's because they're hookups and stuff like that. But when you look at small, medium-sized businesses where people have to struggle to fight every day to make that stuff going, um, to want to, you know, jack up their taxes to some crazy numbers. Like, there's people have to hustle and, and sacrifice to get what they're going. Uh, but uh, it, for people to just consciously think about leadership in every position that they are will give them much more respect and understanding of the difficulties people go through. And it'll really help society. But unfortunately, uh, because we're in a, a society where it's like big corporations, little people, as opposed to society where it used to be a lot of small shop owners, small businesses, People don't have that idea anymore. They're always thinking of themselves as employees. If they want to get health insurance, they have to go work for somebody at health insurance so they have enough money themselves or start their own business to pay for their health insurance. Uh, and, and that's a big thing I think is problematic in the country. We need people more lead and, and do what they can. But unfortunately, it's not a competitive environment. It's very hard for a person to start a business. Um, the costs are high. The taxes and regulations are high. So uh, it gives the incumbents or other people already there and, and doing big stuff uh, disproportionate and unfair advantage. And uh, that's just, it causes people to just stay in their place and become employees, which uh, a lot of people will end up being employees, but I think um, it, we need more people to, to start small businesses and take from there. Thank you very much for joining us on this podcast. If you'd like to hear more, I asked John, what are the top 10 skills of a business leader and how to actually implement them as well? If you'd like to see that, please sign up down below because that is for subscribers only to the Substack. You can find a link down below. Thank you very much.